in the Gospel of Luke this season. And if you would take your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 7. We were in Luke 6 last week in um, what is referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. But now we are leapfrogging a few passages as as the youth are keeping pace with us as we're going through the Gospel of Luke this school year. Today we will begin in verse 18. But as we will come to this passage, I want to ask you, like, do you, do you really believe that Jesus of Nazareth is God in the flesh? Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth is Savior and Lord? Do you believe that the Creator of all, this beautiful rain that we had through the night, this beautiful sun that's now lit up the sky, all this was created not out of just chance, but this is the Creator of the world who's exist, existed forever, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet for love of this world and the redemption of sinners, ultimately for His glory, that God came in the flesh and dwelt among us. Do you believe this? I mean, that God in the flesh died at our hands, and He willingly did so for our salvation. Do you believe that God in the flesh, who was dead in the flesh, buried on the third day, rose again in the flesh and appeared to many before ascending into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God the Father and ever lives to make intercession for us so that we're saved to the uttermost. Do you believe this or are there any lingering doubts you have? Do you have doubts in your faith? Let me share a crass definition of Christianity from UrbanDictionary.com. And it was submitted there in 2007. Christianity is the belief that a cosmic Jewish zombie can make you live forever if you symbolically eat his flesh and telepathically tell him that you accept him as your master. So he can remove an evil force from your soul that is present in humanity because a rib woman was convinced by a talking snake to eat from a magical tree. It sounds crass, but this is how an unbelieving world hears our faith and the story of our scriptures. So we can get offended by that, or we can hear that and say, this is how an unbelieving world hears the story of redemption across the Bible. Do you know someone who believes that this is what Christianity sounds like? Do do you have doubts? Well, Derek, if you put it that way, I didn't even tell you that he's coming back on a white horse and on his thigh is written King of King and Lord of Lords. When you put it that way, Derek, I start to, it doesn't sound as logical and coherent. It it sounds otherworldly because it is. Do you have doubts in your faith? I have never, I've never doubted the existence of God, but I have wrestled with God on who he is. You can, I've wrestled with God on his purposes, his timing, his goodness. How, have you wrestled with God? And so today we come to a passage where we see someone who has doubts in Jesus. This person is John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist, when we come to this passage, is imprisoned by Herod the Tetrarch because John has denounced Herod for marrying the wife of his half-brother. He dared speak up. and He got himself in prison. So we come to Luke chapter 7, verse 18. This is God's word. And we will read it to verse 35. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children singing in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating and eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. You say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. This is God's word. In this passage, we see John the Baptist imprisoned. But do you remember, and we'll come back to him again at the beginning of the story where we leaped over Luke chapter 1 and 2, and we'll come back to that this Advent season. But do you remember, just in your remembrance of, of Bible study, of, of how does John the Baptist, how is he introduced to us? It's first introduced by his parents, who are an elderly couple who have no kids. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Righteous before the Lord, he serves the, the temple. Righteous before the Lord, but they had no children. She was barren of old age. And yet an angel appears and, and tells them they will miraculously have a child. And he would have a special purpose upon his life. Elizabeth would be visited in her pregnancy by Mary. 
the virgin who had a child in her womb. And when Mary would approach Elizabeth, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb would jump and leap for joy, the scripture says. And in chapter 3 of Luke, John went into the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Luke doesn't tell us, but Matthew and Mark tell us that he wore a garment of camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist. <clears throat> his food were locusts and wild honey. He was the fulfillment of Malachi 3, Isaiah 40, a, a voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, calling people to repentance, whether you were of higher class or lower class, of great repute or, or ill repute. Everyone was called to repentance. And he publicly declared Jesus as the mightier one to come. The long-expected Christ, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I baptize you with water, but he's coming with fire and the Holy Spirit. And surprised, but he still did this, he baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. John saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus like a dove. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That's the voice he heard from heaven. This is a quite a life. This is quite a calling. He's the forerunner of the long-expected Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. He ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit with a peculiar boldness. And we come to Luke 7, and he's expressing doubt. He asked his disciples, two of them, to go with a question. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? But he already said, the one who comes after me is mightier than me. He already publicly acknowledged that this is the Lamb of God, and yet now he asks the question, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So this is the most important question you will ask in your entire life. What is your answer? Is Jesus the one? Or Jesus would ask his disciples, who do you say that I am? But the kingdom forerunner now has kingdom doubt. And, um, man, if John starts to doubt, is this whole gospel going to unravel now? Who is it that you have most admired in the faith? You've looked up to, you've emulated, they've been devoted, and yet you start to see them wrestle with the Lord honestly, even express doubts. You've had them on this pedestal. How does that affect you? Or how are you being affected if you're wrestling with doubts even this morning? Are you experiencing doubt today? Come with me to verse 18, and let's look at this first section. Imprisoned by Herod, the disciples are now giving him reports of all that Jesus has done, all these things. The passages we didn't look at were that he healed a, a centurion servant, um, someone who, had, who served, he was a Gentile, he had a servant who was ill, and he had such faith, he said, Jesus, you mean to come to my house, just say the word, I know you have authority, I understand authority myself, and he healed him. And Jesus marveled at his faith. 
a widow who only had one son. They were leading the funeral procession, and Jesus raised him from the dead. All these things are reported to John. But John still asks this question, are you the one or shall we look for another? Jesus' ministry looks a bit different than John's. John hung out at the river. He was bold and brash, prophetic, confrontational. He had this expectation. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John's ready for judgment. He's ready to see this sorting out of this fallen world so that the righteous are gathered together in God's kingdom. And he has this expectation of Jesus as this Messiah King. But here comes Jesus just wandering the countryside. Unexpected, unconventional. I mean, he cares for the crowds, but then he slips away. Where did he go? We find him up on mountains praying. He teaches that enemies should be loved. He ministers even to Gentiles. So what is now causing John to doubt, to waver, that Jesus is the coming one? And the text doesn't let us know. We can make speculations. We'll be very careful with this. Perhaps he's impatient. He's, he's ready for Jesus to hurry this thing along. If the kingdom's coming, let's get this thing going. Let's, I want to see something happen, especially against the Roman Empire and the religious order. Maybe he's just frustrated by Jesus' ways, the emphasis of his teaching. Perhaps he's confused on how this Messiah is going to bring about salvation. Or honestly, maybe he's just depressed because he was ministering in the power of the Spirit by the Jordan River He's speaking against sin publicly, and what it got him was in prison by himself. Just people to attend to him and go. Suffering in isolation. Perhaps it's some or all of these things. What have been your feelings? Your, we don't go by our feelings, but what, what have you been feeling in your heart when you experience faith wrestlings or doubts? Impatient with God, confused by God, feeling abandoned by God. The problem, everyone else seems to be living this perfect Instagram life. And we're trying to keep up and we'll do the best job putting a few photos up to say, here's where we are, here's my part in the story. But then you walk away from the thread, from the news feed, and you're just frustrated by God. You feel abandoned. Work feels like a dead end. Family is a mess. It's not idyllic like you envisioned it would be. Parenting is exhausting. Toddlers wear you out. Teenagers wear you out. Marriage is strained or even separated. Friendships are not what they used to be. Finances are in crisis. You either have, you don't have enough money to pay the bills or you have so much money that you realize your money doesn't buy happiness. The country is polarized. Nations are raging. We can live here on the surface with all these wrestlings, but underneath of it can come an anger at God. 
And if you're just tired of being angry with him, you just start to doubt him or disbelieve. When Jesus does not meet our expectations, we will doubt him. So we can speculate about John. What about having sober judgment about our own soul? All that we see is John sent two of his disciples to ask a question. Are you the one to come or shall we look for another? We can sit around and try to figure out John's psychological state, but what's more important is Jesus' response to the question. Our feelings, our elbow and flow, our circumstances will change. What's most important is what does Jesus say? How does Jesus relate to us? How does he re- reveal who he is even to our wrestlings? Verse 21, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many were the blind were bestowed sight. So this envoy of two disciples come from where John is in prison. They come in. Jesus is in action. Ministry is happening in that hour. The wonder-working ministry of Jesus, they just walk into it and see it happening. In that hour is an important phrase, just these different moments. But it's a bigger thing because we're now at the hour. This hinge of history where this hour where Jesus has now come in the revelation of the kingdom. Don't lose gravity of this hour. This man miraculously conceived to an old barren couple. He was consecrated by the Holy Spirit. No strong food or wine, but to proclaim and boldly proclaim. John's voice, one person says, has been established as the voice of a friend of God's purposes. But this voice is now questioning. I mean, is this thing going to just unravel when the forerunner now starts to doubt? How does Jesus respond to the question? First of all, he doesn't. He just keeps doing what he's been doing. He healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits. And those who are blind, he bestowed sight. They come with a question. They then become eyewitnesses. They come to say something, but they have arrived and now see something. And now comes Jesus' response. And it's not a direct answer. It's a yes-no question. Is Jesus the one? But our Lord, God in the flesh, does not give a direct answer. But the answer is here with ears to hear. He answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor hear good news, preach to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. To your question, go back and tell him what you've seen and heard. It wasn't a yes-no answer. It was, go back and be a testimony to what you see and heard according to God's word. And just let me do a quick bunny trail here. Testimony is established by two or more witnesses. And so isn't it curious that two come from John to ask, And now the two become eyewitnesses and can establish this testimony to John as they go back. 
John sent two disciples to Jesus. Jesus would send out 72 disciples and pairs to minister into the surrounding towns. It's not good for us to be alone. It's good to us to run together, to walk together, to minister together. It was not good that when I get a text this past Tuesday night after prayer, the John, Josh Taylor saying, get down to the church. It looks like someone has snuck in. It wasn't good for Josh to go in alone. And so I show up, and, and it wasn't actually good for us to go in there together as well. We get home and get scolded by our wives, like, why didn't you call the police? Josh and I are walking around with flashlights, like opening doors, and nothing was stolen and nothing was vandalized. And it's all buttoned up now since. Somebody had gotten in there. We are not called to solitary faith, but witnesses to Jesus happens together. Let me say this. Lone wolf ministry is just that. Wolves. Lone wolf ministry gives that. Control freaks, false teachers, cult leaders. Back to this hour. Do you remember why Jesus was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth? Remember when it was going to, it was going to be a good Sabbath day? I mean, we're going to read from the scriptures. We're going to fellowship, catch up. We didn't expect to like throw Jesus, the son of the carpenter, off a cliff. Like they were trying to get him off a cliff because they were so offended by him. Do you remember why the, the people of Nazareth, the, his hometown folk got so angry at him? Because he stood up in the synagogue that day and took the, the scroll of Isaiah and said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All right, well, what was that scripture? Luke 4 says that he opened up and, and read this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He sat down, said that's been fulfilled today in your hearing. And for that, they wanted to throw him off the cliff. Because in saying today that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, that scripture points us to the long-expected Christ. So if the long-expected Christ would do all these things, and Jesus says it's been fulfilled, this boy that we grew up and saw to be a carpenter's son is now saying that he is the Christ. And if he's saying that he is the Christ, this guy that we know, that's blasphemous. Let's execute judgment. But Jesus is the Christ. He didn't come as we thought he would. So their familiarity of Jesus caused them to reject him. And careful with those who ears to hear, you who have grown up, we who have grown up in Bible Belt culture, where Jesus is so familiar to us, we will actually reject him as being Lord of all. Roanoke has hundreds of churches. Hundreds. May Jesus be worshipped here in this valley in spirit and in truth. Let's not reject him out of familiarity. We want to know and follow him. He, he calls us friend. I'm not, we become familiar, but what I'm saying about familiarity is it's just too casual. It's, it's not reverent. But look at what Isaiah pro prophecy proclaims. The Messiah King will come in the power of the Spirit 
working these wonders. And this is exactly what the disciples saw that day and what they're told to go back and tell John. What is Jesus' response? Be witnesses to my words and my works. And he sends them back with a, a clue. This is, he shrouds it just in this clue. It should be obvious, but he puts us in this clue. John the Baptist, who knows his Old Testament, will certainly not miss this. He'll get the message. Jesus doesn't give a direct answer. But he says, go tell John just to remember what the Scriptures say. And so, how Jesus came into the Gospel of Luke and proclaimed, I'm going to be the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, he actually is doing that as we keep reading through Luke. And now when John starts to doubt, Jesus is pointing him back to the Scriptures and says, remember, I am the fulfillment of Scripture. What we have been expecting, I am. So in the face of doubt, we are to look to Jesus in God's Word. It's not a... Well, Jericho, I was expecting a little more better to-do list than that. Better fix-it-up list. Give me, I need seven points with four subpoints to how do I overcome my doubts and look to Jesus in God's Word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. But this is the insane cycle that so many of us are on now in the church. Insane by saying we keep doing the same thing and we keep thinking we're going to get a different result. Life is hard. Life is a grind. It's a fallen world. And so it is a grind. It's hard. And so what we're now going to do is because it's hard and because it's a grind, all because of the many things, I personalize it to you, we will sometimes experience doubt because God's not meeting our expectation. So life is hard. It's hard for all of us. We've all got, we can all tell our own stories. And then in that, we are tempted to experience doubt. Now the question is, what will you do with doubt? And here's two directions I think it can go. You will double down on your duty. You're like, I, life is hard. I now doubt God, but I'm a good church person, so let me be careful about this. I'm going to double down on my duty, and I'm going to harden up in my religion, but it's going to be done in the flesh. And so you will be maybe the most dutiful church person, and on the outside, it will look like, man, such a servant doing all this and so forth, but inside, you're wrecked with doubt of God. Another path you could take is in your doubt of God, you'll drift. And it's sometimes a slow drift. Just drift towards apostasy. And it's not like you're outright rejecting the faith, but the way we live is it's, it's not really real. And so there's just a worldliness. Pastoral ministry, I've seen both. I've seen both who have just, let's double it down in religion. I've seen some people who've just said, I don't even believe it anymore. I mean, all the way to apostasy. Just, I, I don't even believe it anymore. Grind. Doubt. And you either double down or you drift. And you'll feel in this cycle. And you'll want help. 
And you'll seek counsel and you'll talk to friends or talk to a pastor. And none of us can fix each other. So we pray for one another and we give the best biblical counsel we can. Sometimes the questions come, or how are, how are you looking at Jesus? Or are you seeking to know him? How are you coming to know, are you trusting him more through word and prayer? And, and for the person who's doubting, sometimes that that question, those questions will be received as more duty, more things to do. And so it's, it'll sound like a religious question. And so sheepishly, we'll just walk away and I'll just redevote myself to more devoted private devotion. I'll just try this and that will work for two weeks. And then you'll just start feeling guilty and shameful again. But it's not really a religious question, please, here. It's really a faith question. Are you looking beyond yourself for salvation? We're saying his name a lot, but is he really real to you? I mean, do you really believe this? That's why I asked you at the very beginning, do you really believe it? I mean, is he really in heaven right now with resurrected flesh, with scars to prove it? Is he really praying for us right now? Is this a figment of our imagination? I dare you, youth. Some of you youth, well, I'm just growing up and my, my families are church-going families and so forth. You'll come to a point, like, is this real for you? Do you truly understand the grace of the gospel? So in the face of doubt, we are to look to Jesus in God's word. We want the yes, no, quick fix. But what we get in the scriptures is Jesus shows us what he's done. They now have their answer. Tell John what Jesus is doing in fulfillment of God's word. Oh, one more thing. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Is Jesus the one? Is he the long-expected Savior King? Because when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, we can become offended by him. We had a few beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those. So we, but he throws in another beatitude here. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Do you have a relationship to me, Jesus says? Will you be offended? Just this ordinary man of Nazareth. One saint says it this way, they saw no signs of a king around them. No riches, no royal cloths, no courtiers, no crown. They only saw a man in all appearances as poor as they were. Surrounded, flanked by a few fishermen and a few tax collectors. Their pride rebelled at the idea that such a person could be the Christ. It seemed incredible. There must be some mistake. Such thoughts as these in all probably passed through their minds and our Lord read their hearts and dismissed them with a searching caution. You've got to be careful. I mean, are we wanting Buddy Christ to give us all of our wants and whims? Because if he doesn't meet our expectations, if life goes away, We'll be tempted to doubt his goodness towards us. Does he really truly love me? Is he truly sovereign? Is he even real? Or is this just some woman who ate from a magical tree? And it's all a fairy tale.
Luke is writing to the most excellent Theophilus, the God lover, that he may have certainty. We're not here just to have faith to like, ah, I hope it's true. We're here to have certainty in who Jesus is, and that is faith. And in the face of doubt, look to God's word and see him as a savior king. Look at this. Jesus has given response. John's disciples are now back to the prison. But how does Jesus himself react to John? He's just now been questioned, maybe even publicly. Maybe they pulled him aside, but he's now been questioned by the forerunner, John. Are you the one or should we look for another one? What would your flesh do when you get questioned like that? Can you really do this? You know, see what I've already done? In our flesh, we could get offended, we get defensive, prideful, but not our Lord. What does he do? He publicly commends John as, a, as great and endorses his ministry. In John's hour of doubt, Jesus loves him and commends him. John's messengers had gone, verse 24, he begins to speak to the crowds. He asked them about what they'd come to see. What did you come to see? You come to see vegetation? Is that why you went to the river? You want to see the reeds blowing back and forth? Well, that's not John. John is not spineless like some reed just blowing about beside the river. Man, he is passionate, conviction, speaking where no one else is speaking, calling people to repentance, even to the point of getting himself in prison because of it. Oh, he's not like a reed. Oh, did you come to see someone in soft clothing? Do you need to see a king? No, no, no. This isn't someone of royalty, of, of privilege. This is a prophet from God. And not only a prophet, more than a prophet. The one who prepares the way of the Lord. What drew you to John, he tells the crowd, is not his demeanor or his status, but his message. And I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. For the man who just questioned him, he's saying there's none greater than him. Why? Because for all of these many generations, prophet after prophet after prophet has spoken the word of the Lord. And now we come to the last prophet, the one who will prepare the way of the Lord in this hinge of redemptive history. And John is this man. This fulfillment of Malachi 3. He is this great prophet of all this, and now he gets to usher in, be the opening act, to be the hinge at the coming of Christ. I mean, we, we will look to Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, we'll esteem them, Elijah. They're not greater than John. John is right there with them. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wow. How could ordinary people such as us be greater than John the Baptist? Have you thought about it in those terms? What's going to happen to John is just to serve the fancies of a little dinner party, he's going to get himself beheaded and his head's going to be served on a platter. That head that's on a platter is never going to get to see Jesus crucified and risen from the dead. John dies in faith. 
John dies with the commendation and love of our Lord. But we who are on this side of the hinge, over here, we get to look back and see that God came in the flesh, lived among us in grace and truth, died in the flesh, was buried in the flesh, and was raised. And we have this revelation, and it is great. We are great. Not because of anything in us, but because we have such a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize how blessed we are to live in this day? Oh, Derek, if we could have just lived in that day, man, what would it have been like to walk through the Red Sea with Moses? Oh, we could have conquered the land with Joshua. What if we'd have been in that lion's den with Daniel? We could have been one of the mighty men of David. Oh, what if we could have gotten on the boat with Peter and walked on water? Oh, if we could have just lived in that day. You are greater the least, of the, king, or least of the kingdom of God are greater than all those. Prophets and kings long for this day. Angels are looking into this day that we're now living. You not only came in the flesh, Lord, you're now going to put your spirit in them. We live in a day where Jesus is risen from the dead. And the Holy Spirit's been poured out and indwells us by faith. The gospel's going to all the nations. So quit reminiscing about the good old days. Quit wishing you were in another generation because the Lord has providentially put us here now to the blessing of this day. In verse 29, people heard this. They declared God just, even the tax collectors. They had been baptized by John. The Pharisees and the lawyers, the religious leaders who hadn't been baptized by John, rejected it. There's two responses. Those who've been baptized by John, and we even got a caveat this, including the tax collectors, they've all responded to John's call for the repentance of sin. They know they need to be cleansed. They need salvation from something beyond themselves. Those who have humility before God to say, I need some salvation from outside. I can't do it myself. They humbly receive John and are receiving Jesus here. But those who had not been baptized by John, John's a fanatic. I mean, we're the righteous ones. Pride, we don't need a savior. Definitely not from this man of Nazareth. So one of the most difficult things in this world is to accept grace. R.C. Sproul. One of the most difficult things in this world is to accept grace. Because however life, you're, however, you're, however life is going for you, you're going to always try to justify yourself, to prove yourself before God and before others, but to humbly say, I need God's grace for salvation. Do you need God's grace? Or are you just, are you good? Are you good? And then Jesus gives this little parable at the end. It was a popular children's saying of the day. One person's kind of termed it the parable of the brat. What do we compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children singing in a marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and did not dance. We sang a dirge for you and did not weep. There's always that one person who's never pleased, right? And that's what this parable talks about. A child comes in and wants to join in. We're so glum. 
Let's cheer him up. Let's sing a happy song. Nope, don't want to sing that. All right, let's sing a sad song. Oh, you don't like that one either? So we're always trying to accommodate ourselves to the person who's so glum, but they're never satisfied. We can, we can be joyful, not satisfied. We can be glum, get down there and you're sorry, not satisfied. And that's how Jesus is talking about his generation. And you know what the book of Ecclesiastes tells us? There's nothing new under the sun. Generation comes, generation goes. We can talk, talk, talk about my generation all we want, but that's the very same thing that's happening today. John the Baptist comes. He's an aesthetic. He's not drinking, he's not eating bread, drinking no strong wine. Looks, he's denying himself the pleasures of the world. Oh, he's got a demon. The son of the man comes and befriends sinners and is at dinner parties, eating and drinking. He's a glutton, drunkard, friend of sinners. For the self-righteous person, there is no satisfaction. Nothing is ever good enough for the self-righteous person. If you're not satisfied, be careful. You may be a self-righteous person. But if you're trying to be a friend of a self-righteous person, you're always trying to accommodate, it's not going to work. There is no satisfying a self-righteous person. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Wisdom is personified as having a family here. Wisdom accepts both. It's not about whether we're an aesthetic or whether we're kind of out there at the dinner parties with sinners. It's where is your heart? And the Lord had a calling upon John and the Lord had revelation in Christ. And the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected it. I really love this Scripture, it, if you're just sitting there in shame and guilt, like I've got doubts, and I've been walking with the Lord for like 10, 15, 20, 60 years, and you're still just wrestling with him, and you're not, can you at least look at the scriptures and see that John the Baptist, who was his forerunner, is sitting there wrestling with, are you the one or shall we look for another? But then do you see Jesus' response? He commends him and loves him. It's not scolding. I mean, we need the rebuke of the Lord at times. But even that, when done by the Lord, is grace. Are you here having faith doubts today? You yourself. Where are you in the insane cycle? I'm grinding it out, Derek. I've got doubts. And now will I double down in my religion? Or will I kind of drift into worldliness? Are you impatient with God? Confused by God? Abandoned, feeling abandoned by God? When Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, then we can doubt Him. We're going to sing that you never change. So instead of us always wrestling with God, if we can figure out, how, we feel like we can just change Him. If we can just change Him, then it'll work better for us. What needs to change is our expectations of him. Our submission to him. What needs to change is our reverence before him. Our trust of him. When Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, we're so tempted to just doubt him. We cannot change him. He is working all things together for good. 
for those who call to know and love him. Derek, I know I've heard that. I know, but are you experiencing it? Quit. If it's a memory verse, now let's live it out. In the face of doubt, he told John, go again to the scriptures and see how I'm the fulfillment of it. In the face of your doubt, if you will not avail yourself just the ordinary means of grace of prayer and Bible, if you still want a different answer and the Lord is giving you just an ordinary accessible means, hey, you can read this. This is a Spirit-inspired word. It will show you Jesus. And yet we never open it. And yet we think, why I still have doubts? We're doing the insane cycle. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through anybody. He's ascended to the heavens. You can talk to me at any time. You have 24-hour access. You can talk to God prayer at any time, and yet we do not pray, and yet we still feel like, well, what do I do about my doubts? The thing is, if we're trying to self-justify ourselves and self-fix ourselves, it doesn't matter whether we sing a happy song or a sad song. It won't work. We have to humbly come before the Lord and say, who are you? Is Jesus the one? Is Jesus the one for you? Let's pray.